Canuck Central. In the Kintech studio, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the show, John Garrett dropping his takes on the Canucks. Also, some thoughts on the trade market and how it's developing hearing the rumor mill pick up on Bo Horvat with a new team potentially entering the fold, the Columbus Blue Jackets, a surprise team, a surprise name. Also, the Toronto Maple Leafs kicking tires on Tyler Myers. So you can check that out, hour one of the program. Get it on your favorite podcatcher. We do appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review. So we've talked a lot about things that could happen and things that have been done, but would you say you have more or less confidence in this front office almost a year after they've taken over or almost a year since Jim Rutherford's taken over? And it's really interesting looking at the reaction there, Yeah, you know, on the text inbox and everything like that. I mean, for me, the confidence hasn't developed yet. You know what I mean? Like one thing that I... it's still in an evaluation period. One thing, and, and and this is funny, and, and I was exchanging messages with somebody who was messaging me today saying, you know, I can't believe this team is now out of verge that they have to trade their captain. Bruce is not going to be here next year, and uh, ownership is in turmoil and all this sort of stuff, and like, like everything is going bad. And I'm like, you know, the ownership stuff obviously came out of nowhere with the yeah. stuff that got public and all that sort of stuff be- before the season with the divorce and everything. Um, but everything else, I think, was somewhat according to plan. Like, hey, I don't think... Bo, I think, has been pretty clear that they're more open to trading Bo than they were signing him. And that was clear heading into the season because he was unsigned. And it was clear that Bruce Boudreaux wasn't going to be their guy long-term. So it was about getting through this season. The thing that went wrong was everything came to a head in the first two weeks of the season. And now you're pressed into dealing with the issues you're hoping to hold off for. And one thing I mentioned in training camp, we talked about, and it was, I'm like... Be very aware that this year, no matter what happens, this team wants to make more moves. They weren't able to do the moves they wanted. This is a year, as much as they're talking about trying to make the playoffs and all that sort of stuff, if they can do certain things during the season, they're going to be very much open to it. And the season went so bad early on that it just pushed everything to the forefront. But I think heading into the season, the idea was always, we're not as committed to this roster as we, as it seems. We're going to play it by ear a little bit. And as the season goes on, head into next offseason, hopefully do more and get more guys off the books. So that was my perception of the situation. So my confidence hasn't changed. The thing that's happened is it's blown up in their face and they have to deal with it yeah. so early in the season instead of having time for, for it to play out. If there's one critique I would lay on on the front office sat it's not necessarily signing miller or making this trade or that it's more trying to do too many things at once right trying to stay competitive and make sure that you know you've got pieces in place that you think will help two to three years down the line but also understand that there are immediate changes you need to make to the roster and a shuffling of the deck that needs to happen at some point. It's really, it's really difficult to be two things at the same time, right? You either have to be 
in on being competitive or looking to the future. Now, however you view looking to the future, whether that be the long-term big R rebuild like Arizona and, mm-hmm. and Chicago decided to go for, or are you sort of in a retool mode? And I, the feeling I got was that they were going to be in more of a retool mode. Let's play things slowly here and make some changes over the next two, three years and, and, and really gear up to, to make the most of this roster in a couple of years' time. But with their actions over the summer, it was we're trying to do the whole stay competitive, but also make changes to the roster at the same time, which is very difficult in this league. We talked about it in the summer, and it's proven to be very difficult for this team. And now it, as we've said, has all come to a head. Now, so DJ and Ramon make the same point, kind of echoing some of the things that you said. This team came in, uh, this management team, and said, we're going to clear cap space. Yeah. We're going to look to the future. We have to mm-hmm. take a step back, take a step forward. And they haven't done that. It's been the opposite. The one thing I will say, um, even if you want to rebuild, you don't rebuild in one off season. Right. You don't rebuild in, in one season, really. It takes time for you to strip the roster down, right? Now... Adding the player, the Mikheyev thing, I understand. But one thing that Rutherford talked about, and this is where people are wondering, too, what's the plan? We don't know what the plan is. I mean, they've told us what the plan is, but it's hard to buy into it because it's, it's kind of all over the place. But I think Rutherford explained it fairly well. That made sense to me, at least, that he said, we have a puzzle we're trying to build. And just because we're adding certain pieces to the puzzle today doesn't mean the big move isn't happening. We'd love to make the big move first. But when we're trying to put this puzzle together, there are moving pieces over the next few years we want to find. There are certain guys we're identifying, types of players we want to add to the team. And you can't do all your work in one offseason. You can't in one offseason rebuild and one offseason build back up again. You know, like it takes time to do all these sort of things. And sometimes it is doing a little bit of both just because of the sequencing has to be all over the place a little bit. If that's truly what's going on, to me, logically, that makes sense. Like, okay, yes, it doesn't make sense to me in terms of the sequencing, but in the overall picture of the plan and how you put these pieces together. Okay, you got to do what you got to do because you can sit here and say, you know what? We're just into our teardown phase right now. We're just mm-hmm. into our phase of uh, subtracting. Do you bypass some opportunities to find certain things that can help you along the way in two years? Because you can't just decide in two years, now we're going to be good. Now I got to go find these two defensemen I want and go find these three forwards I want and go find that backup goalie I need or whatever. You guys start adding those pieces bit by bit as it goes on, too. Even look at teams like the Rangers that rebuilt and did it on the fly. They still had some additions, pretty big ones, along the way. They signed Artemi Panarin before they were quote-unquote ready. You know what I mean? So the point being— Columbus with Goudreau this year. Yeah. So the sequencing, I understand. In terms of of us buying into the plan and it making more sense to us, the sequencing is important. But it all comes down to what the puzzle looks like at the end of the day. So uh, John in Calgary has uh, this take. Faith in management didn't move Miller at the deadline, didn't move him over the offseason, and then signed him long-term. Big miss. Confidence is low. So w- what I believe the um, the conversation around Miller has become twofold. It's one You don't like the contract. You don't like that they locked into a 29-year-old. But also, you don't like that they've chosen or seemingly have chosen Miller over Bo Horvat as the one to keep. 
Well, and, and the thing, I will say this quickly. So people say the Canucks have no plan because they signed JT Miller and now they have to trade Bo Horvat. What if that's the plan? Yeah. If the plan all along was to keep one and trade the other, it's yeah. the same equation, just it's, different numbers. It's just the plan you don't agree with. Yeah, but it's the same plan. It doesn't mean you don't have a plan. It just means it's not the plan you wanted them to have. One thing that I can't get out of my head that Rutherford, in his many interviews with us here on, on Canuck Central, and by the way, you can find them all on the podcast if you choose to look through the history of the podcast episodes. Um, subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. So the the one thing that stuck out from one of our interviews with Rutherford shortly after the Miller signing was... And he was talking about Horvat and the negotiations with Horvat. We're a little bit more comfortable with Horvat now that we have one of them signed. Yes. They did not want to get into a situation where both of them were unsigned. So they've got one. And the other negotiation becomes something that's a little bit less, I guess... uh, (laughs) less stressworthy for them because they can management, they can stick to what their valuation is of the player in a greater sense. That's more of what's happening here with, with Horvat. And just because he's off to this great start, shouldn't necessarily change their minds on whom they chose over the course of the summer to prioritize. You don't change your mind on 17 games. Yeah. You shouldn't, at least. You know, there should be more to you, more to the decision being made and more to you coming off that decision than a 17-game sample. You know what I mean? Like, I would hope the process is better than blowing up in your face and you regretting a seven-year extension after 17 games. That means you're processing, determining that evaluation wasn't good. You know, that's how I would view it if that's really how they feel, which I don't think it is. But this one says, you didn't leave yourself flexibility by signing Miller. Well... If they're signing both, same thing. Yeah. Sure, maybe slightly less money at the time. You know, seven million. Let's just say for argument's sake, it's seven times seven instead of eight times seven. But your flexibility will still be gone if you're signing one guy over the other. You're still in the same spot cap-wise. You're still in the same spot overall equation-wise. And I understand people say it's a bad move by keeping Miller instead of Horvat, and you can have that opinion. But it's the same equation, different numbers. Same you know? equation, different numbers. You... It's, it's You're different. still trading a big piece off of this roster. It's just, and, and as we've talked about, Horvat might be the one that you end up getting more for in trade, even as a rental, than what you were potentially being offered uh, by the New York Rangers or whomever else it was that was in on, um, on, on JT Miller. But Miller isn't a center. They're going to lose a 40-goal center to keep a winger. That's from Tyler. Uh, I think JT, like, he can play center, Maybe his ceiling is better on the wing, but also like if JT is still is an eighty point eighty five point winger, like that's still even for if it's for a couple of years, like that's still value on an eight million dollar player. Or it's, it's about least, having difference makers too. And, and the reality is, it's he, at least bringing you. But it, here's here's the other side yeah. of the equation too that people aren't are also not keeping in mind. Even if you hold on to Bo and JT or hold on to Bo, you still need another center that does the things that neither of those guys can do. Play That's defense. just the reality. You know what I mean? Like Bo's better than JT defensively, but he's not a matchup center. He's he's not for that role. He's not a PK center. Like if they keep even if they keep Bo 
and JT goes to the wing or they trade JT, they're still looking for that type of center. The equation hasn't changed is the point I'm trying to make. Yes, you can talk about preferring one guy over the other. There's, there's still a need of a center that can do the things none of their centers can do, save Pedersen. And even he is not a strong face-off guy to be a traditional matchup guy or be in that role all the time. And you don't want it to be in that role all the time because of how good he is offensively. So you look at this team, regardless, they're still in need of that. You look at this team and holding on to both those guys, they're still in need of long-term centers as part of the group. And like people have been mentioning, the issue here is the Canucks have not made any hard decisions yet. The yeah. hardest decision they've made is giving people money, which is the easiest decision you can make in the National Hockey League. Signing checks is the easiest thing you can do as long as the owner gives you approval for it. Because all you're doing is giving money to people to stay. Yeah. And you're giving money to people to come to you. In terms of making a trade, in terms of letting somebody walk, in terms of making a tough decision that subtracts from your team, they haven't done that yet. And until they do, I think there's going to be a lot of skepticism. I think it's coming. They're going to have to do it. But are people going to buy into that overall plan until a subtraction happens? Well, they've given, uh, they've committed over $100 million in contracts since, since coming in, right? Um, Besser got a big contract. Horvat, uh, sorry, not Horvat. JT Miller got his big contract. Mikheyev got a big contract. So they've given out quite a bit of money, and they haven't really subtracted much. Uh, I, I can see that as one of the beefs that people have, but we're looking at an incomplete picture as it stands right now. And Rutherford has said that a thousand times with us. And I understand it's hard to believe because you haven't seen any evidence to really support that. But that's what makes this trade deadline all that much more interesting is to see how they navigate this, especially with the big piece in Bo Horvat. Cole Harbor Hayden on the Dunbar Lumber text line. The team has had seasons to show their worth, but current management has not. I'm at a stage where I'm now comfortable for them to rip things up as something has to change. We talk about Bo having a career year, but what is he doing from a leadership perspective to bring his team along with him? That's from uh, Cole Harbor Hayden listening live and texting in at 650-650. In reality, none of these players have shown something this team has been lacking that Mm -hmm. they're providing all of a sudden. Bo is doing what he's done well his whole career or at least in recent years even better yes which is not a bad thing i mean again he's increasing his overall value by being a big time goal scoring center instead of being a 30 goal guy maybe he's a 40 goal guy and we'll see how hot he can stay and whatever happens but scoring goals being a 40 goal center who's not all those other things you want him to be is okay because he's scoring 40 goals i mean there's a lot of value in being able to score that many goals as a center in the league obviously but when you look at the construction of the roster and how these guys are built up and everything Bo's not providing something different than he's provided in the past from the weaknesses of his game. JT's not providing anything he hasn't provided before from the weaknesses of his game. He talked about wanting to be better defensively. He hasn't been. Yeah, He's scoring at a high rate. He's on pace for—he's also on pace for career year goal scoring-wise. Yeah. He's, he's four goals behind Bo Horvath, so it doesn't get talked about as much. But he's got 10 goals on the season as well, right? So they're scoring. They're doing the things they've always done well. But are you doing the things that help you win hockey games? No. When I look at JT Miller and Bo Horvat, do I look at guys and say, details? Yeah. Those guys have details. Bo's might be better than JT's right now, but Bo's not a guy you, you put up there and say, this is a guy who, who exudes every single detail in the game that you want, and you play the way he plays, you're going to win more hockey games. He's on, on a career pace, and the team's struggling. What does that tell you about these players, right? They're good. They add to it, but they're, they haven't shown they're truly guys you win with yet. And until that happens, I, I'm not as invested. So I don't care which one you choose or you trade both. Because to me, you choose one of them. I don't like investing in both. 
and they're very much flawed players. And they chose the one that scored 99 points last yes. year. And, and hey, like, we can't forget that. Yeah, and, and, and even if you keep all three guys... Who wildly current, outscored his defensive issues last year. We look at the Canucks right now as they're yeah. built, and you have to play JT and Bo together, essentially. And if you don't, they don't have a center to provide something different. Like, they're flawed as it is with all three of these guys down the middle, or yeah. at least th- two of them playing on the same line. They're, they're flawed in that way, and their biggest flaw, you know, is, as, as some of our texters are saying, well, they paid Besser, and they paid Miller, and they paid Mikheyev, and they didn't do anything on defense. Uh, that makes my confidence low in this front office yeah it's yeah. it's hard they have so much money on the back end and this is why it's so imperative that they find a solution for tyler myers because they're just they're paying too much money to guys that aren't very good on their back end like players that are being paid more than what they can realistically give to this roster that goes for Myers Mm -hmm. that goes for OEL even if Myers is providing you four million dollar value it's not six and that's what he's getting paid for right now even if OEL is giving you like five five and a half like he did last year which he's not even close to doing this year don't get me wrong on that he's still getting paid seven and a quarter by this team so I don't know how you fix that problem but you can't just keep adding money on the back end and hope that it fixes the problem when it's already extremely inefficient the way that this roster has yeah. been built and that money allocated to the back end already. 100%. Right? And, but I mean, you have to take away from that back end. And that has to happen. And they have to have, have guys that have surplus value. And I see people texting in Matt, Minor, Matt, and Abbotsford, others too, and saying, we got to criticize ownership here because ownership is the reason why this team is never rebuilding. Ownership is the reason why they're trying to make the playoffs all the time. It's fair, man. You can ha- yeah. have at it. Uh, you, can, you can criticize. You can throw it out wherever you want. But the signing for JT Miller, people that listened to the show last season, how often do we say they want to keep JT? Like, I felt like I was the only, you and I were the only guys in the market saying, hey, everyone, yeah. I know you're not paying attention, but they kind of want to keep him. Yep. I, 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 I think <laughs> they want to keep him. And nobody listened. They're like, yeah. no, they're going to trade. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm As much as you. I felt they should trade him, you kept saying they want to keep they him. They want to keep him. That was the, that was the idea. I, that's what I had heard. I know people thought they're going to trade him, but I, my understanding was they really want to keep him. They like him more than people think, right? So my understanding was they're going to try to sign him. Well, they felt like. JT was bringing something last year that the roster lacked. Yes. Now, more than just the points and the on-ice results. Yeah, and we can argue whether it was the right move or not. The point I'm trying to make, is more than anything, is people say ownership decided they have to sign JT. My understanding is, and I've reported this, it's a management call. You're pissed about it? Blame management. That doesn't mean you, you shouldn't blame um, ownership for stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't. It's about being accurate. And Jim Rutherford, I was told, would not take this job if the owner is telling him who to sign. Yeah. Okay? Does that mean that uh, ownership is going to be able to stay hands-off for years to come? Who knows? And history has shown perhaps not, right? And that's kind of been the reality of the situation. But that JT decision, my understanding is, as an owner, it was a management call. And it wasn't something they just decided on in the offseason. It's something that was kind of in the works throughout most of the season. Yeah. And you said it more than anybody else in this market they want to keep JT they want to keep JT and they did and it was going to take a big offer to get them to move off of JT mm-hmm. they felt like they never got 
that offer for JT. The other thing, if you want to be critical of, I think, is more direction of, do you hire somebody who's going to do what you are envisioning? So it's not like you're telling Rutherford what to do, but you're hiring Rutherford because he's not a guy who's going to rebuild because he's a guy that's going to do what he's doing. Yeah. So you can look at that and that way you, you get, you have a mandate, you have a vision and you hire somebody that matches your vision. Yes. So that could be a criticism about your vision and who you hire. But I don't think in the day to day or what's going on today that the moves are being dictated by ownership. It's being dictated by hockey ops. They have autonomy. So I think the decisions really come down to them. What are they willing to do? And they're the ones that are going to be wearing it, for now at least. That doesn't absolve uh, ownership of decisions they've made in, in years past, as we've talked about often on this show. Yeah. But um, for this specific one, uh, this group right now, this front office is making decisions. Jim Rutherford is setting out the vision. Patrick Alvine is working the day-to-day. Uh, you know the normal duties you would expect of a GM, and it's 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 Jim Rutherford that's put the front office together, and he's setting the course of the vision of the franchise and where they're supposed to go over the next two to three years. At least that's been my understanding of how it works within the front office. So, um, management ownership is going to sign off on a fifty-six million dollar contract, one hundred percent. Of course, of but course. I mean, it was this front office's decision to put that contract on the table for JT Miller. The issue here is a lack of trust. And that lack of trust is well-founded. Yes. You know, I, I'm not blaming any fans for having a lack of trust with the organization based on how things have gone the past decade. You know, I think that's where a lot of it is. There are also some realities of any team in the National Hockey League, whether it's an owner or a board or somebody representing the owner. There's always something you got to go through. There's always a line you got to go. There's a phone call you got to make when it comes to a big, big decision involving marketable players in your team and, and stuff like that going on. And also when it comes to handing out big contracts, that's just a reality. Every team has that. The question is, how much are you influencing when those calls are getting made? And how much of that can you stay off and let the people in the hockey ops do their jobs? And some organizations have been better than others over the years when it comes to that dynamic. Uh, this one, how about... Drop the fear of losing and trade both of them. Time to grow up as a front office. I'm not afraid. I mean, what have we said? Yeah. Essentially, Quinn Hughes, Pedersen, and Demko. Yep. And even if you want to talk as a Demko, but it's, it's, it comes down to two or three guys and the rest be open to it. They, uh, they have a lot of options uh, over the course of this season on who to trade. The way the season's going, this very much may end up being a reset year for this franchise and one that they'll have to use to catapult them over the next couple. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Um, Canuck Central is brought to you by, this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Frank Valley had a take, uh, on our show Monday and I've seen it sort of reverberate around hockey Twitter that JT Miller is now untradeable hmm. with his, uh, seven year, $56 million contract extension. No. He's not untradeable. He's still a point-a-game player. He's got 10 goals in 17 games. Has been a power play dynamo over the last three years. If you extrapolate his entire Canucks career, he's like a top 
15 top 20 scorer across the NHL. Yes. I mean, I get you're not getting the same return you would before he signed the contract, but you I like I still think he's tradable. Of course he is. I mean, you can trade you can trade him tomorrow if you really wanted to. How did JT Miller become a useless player in the space of a month? Yeah, I, I think the thing is though, you <laughs> It's like the hyperbole is killing me, Seth. No, I understand. You can trade him, but you can't trade him without taking something back. Yeah. And you know what? You get into the off season. I think the JT Miller, if you really want to trade him, you have to do that draft before his no move clause kicks in at the start of the new league year, which is July 1st. Yeah, yeah. So if you're seriously considering it, and I'm not saying... Like, it it wasn't like, even about like trading him necessarily for me. It's just about the idea that this guy is like now untradeable. He's not untradable, but it's the thing is, you're probably not getting the value you could have got last year because of his for contract sure. situation, right? So it means it's unlikely he gets traded. And if he gets traded in the season, it would, I would think it would be a one-for-one. One. Yeah. Think, think the forward version of a set of... of um, um, of uh, Weber for for Subban type of deal. Right, they traded yeah. Subban before his contract kicked in. They got a big contract back in return. Big time players, something like that, like uh, conceivably could happen during the season if they decide to go super bold or whatever. But if you want to get off the money, it would have to be the off season and a team that would look at him and say, "I can take that money on," and they would be okay with the fifty six million. I think teams could be, but the environment to take that on without giving money back is not in season. That's an off season thing. Yeah. It's, uh, I just, Miller's going to get on a hot streak at some point and people are going to love him as much as they did last year and be yes. like, this guy's amazing. Oh, what a What's player. Gonna, well, yeah. I mean, it's going to, it's going it's and- to be, but I think the reality too of JT Miller's situation, the reason the Canucks signed him, the trade value was never at the level they or anybody had thought. I mean, insider said he's going to have incredible value. We kind of pushed back and said, ah, from what we're hearing, the value is not, that yeah. great. The reason they may not trade him is they're not really getting the offers they're hoping for. Maybe a first and a prospect, but really not exactly what you're looking for in that one difference-making prospect you want back in return or that mega package you want. So that wasn't available for JT to begin with. Yeah. So I think that's something else you have to keep in mind that when they traded JT, it was never... So I think the highs of the JT Miller trade value was never as high as reported, and the lows of his value is probably not as low as it's being suggested, yes. not reported. So I th- say that's kind of where the truth is. The other thing I love about our uh, hypothetical trade value conversations uh, around the NHL, it's like, uh, oh, you can't trade this guy because of his contract. And on the flip side, it's like, Oh yeah, well the return on this player is not going to be great because he's just a rental. Like you can't you can't get that much for a rental player anymore. <laughs> just like okay, so like we'll just we'll just never make trades then, you know, because nobody's ever got the value mm-hmm. think they think they do. Yeah, I mean you, you can trade the guy. I think the point is though, at one point you could have traded him and then had cap space. Yeah. That's probably not in the cards for you right now as we speak in the season. You know what we should do? It might be a fun exercise one day, like the uh, the Bill Simmons thing, like the 10 trade most. trade machine? Yeah, the, the 10 most, uh, the 10 highest value trade assets in the, in the NHL right now. Like, who would they be? That could be a fun exercise for we a can, day. We can do that one of these days. Yeah. Connor Bedard, number one. <laughs> number one. I can't really trade for him. Somebody asked me the other day, they were like, uh, like, it. Would you trade like whoever has the first overall pick, like your next five first rounders, to in order to draft Connor Bedard? Like, yeah, I would. Yeah. But I don't think the team selecting first overall would do that. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Because if you get Connor Bedard, you're probably not picking first overall. I mean, yeah. who knows? I mean, we've seen that happen before. But like, yeah, man, he's gonna be a good player. I think. Might be Connor. 
He might be. He's all right. He's got some talent. Um, Could it be right. Vancouver? Now, <laughs> uh, I don't know. So, I mean, looking at it, if you're looking at JT, look at teams. If you want to, if you want to explore what a JT trade could look like in your own head or when you want to have fun with it, look at some high-paid players around the league mm-hmm. that are impact players. Yeah. And think of a swap. You're making a hockey trade. You're not making a, here's a rental for a futures trade. You're now making a hockey trade. The only way it could happen is if there's a team that can absorb the five and a half, half five million cap hit this year because his number is not eight this year, it's 5.25. And if the Canucks just retain on this one year and not the rest of the contract or whatever, like there are creative ways they could move the contract, they move him this year without it being a big cap hurdle for other teams. It's just the $8 million cap hit kicking in the following year for most teams you look at their cap pictures. Yeah. It's hard for them to put that in another eight million next season without doing something else, and that's where the situation is kind of at. So the most likely one, yeah, look around and, and have some fun with some some big big money hockey trade ideas. Uh, at the end of the day, like there would have been teams that wanted to sign JT Miller to the exact same contract in free agency should he have gotten to free agency. So I would imagine there would be teams that would be willing to take him on in trade at the right trade price because it's very different to signing a player as a free agent and not having to give up anything other than cap space for him rather than trading something of value to then take on that contract and teams are really in on jt made other plans made other moves so they've already allocated assets and cap space to other players they went and got because they didn't get jt who was more part of the list of players they may have been interested in so even if teams were interested in the past they may not have the flexibility to make the addition today uh so uh just uh just a conversation i wanted to uh throw out there okay um you think the alex edler hit was dirty last night he doesn't move his leg much does he no I mean, I get Zach Hyman's point of view because he did it to like Edler actually did it to the, him. Yeah, he dragged the, the the leg on the knee on on Hyman. The Hyman was dirty. Oh, we all agreed that was uh, that was when we uh, we we upset Kyle Dubas's grandmother. Grandma Dubas it? came at us. Yeah, on Twitter. Grandma Dubas came at us on Twitter. It wasn't we, that game. It was the next game. It was the, the next game where Wayne Simmons went after Alex. Yeah, Edler. so Wayne Simmons jumps Alex Edler and fights him. Well, actually, he he challenged him and Edler obliged. Let's be. I don't yeah. want to be fake yes. news or anything, but yes, that's what happened. <laughs> Uh, and we we and I wasn't even mad at Wayne Simmons because hey Simmons he's doing what he's supposed to do he's, yeah, he's challenging yeah. the guy that's what he's supposed to do or whatever but I was apop- we were apoplectic because there was no instigator yeah it's, like, it's very like this guy just had a two game suspension yes it's clear why he's ha- he has to fight Wayne Simmons who's feeding him his lunch <laughs> and he doesn't even get a penalty out of it like he already paid a price he's got suspended two games yeah. should he get to eat punches without any punishment like come on at least give him. The instigator penalty. That's why the rule is there. Man, never have you seen a group of fans be so upset about a lack of instigator getting called. Yes. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Honestly, every single reply from Leafs fans just made my Well, like when Burroughs hit Pasternak the other day, and it wasn't a dirty hit or anything, but, you know, he had to answer the bell. And, yeah, the Bruins player ends up getting an instigator penalty for it. So, I don't know. Uh, just because Edler uh, stuck out his knee on Zach Hyman doesn't make him, you know, Darius Kasparitis or anything like that. Mm, no, but, but Edler, Darius Kasparitis reference hits at plus fifteen hundred today. But it's you know what Edler has had some sneaky, dirty hits throughout his career. Okay, Eric Stahl, World Championship, blew yeah. his knee up. Oh yeah, all right. We got Hyman. Yeah, McDavid. Okay, that's two. 
couple. I'm saying he's got a few. And he, maybe three. He's got a few. Wanna. There's another one I think Including he had for a high hit one. There was a high hit he had, I think, once. I remember too. when he like uh, he tapped Mike Smith on the shoulder, and Mike Smith made it seem like there was a sniper on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> like Mike Smith, ultimate diving goalie uh, in the NHL. Incredible. <laughs> uh, yes. So, I mean, Alex Adler, that play, I, I didn't think it was um, – it was dirty. I think it was a it was an it was a uh, unfortunate outcome. Yeah, because he just goes he just goes on a straight line and it looks like it was kind of McDavid moved a little bit. Not to blame McDavid. He's trying to go through the guy, but I don't know. I didn't think it was what, what is what is that supposed to do? He goes straight. He yeah. stands he stands the guy up. It was too uh, bad the knee hit. You're just not allowed to hit uh, Connor McDavid in this league. Hey, listen, power to the Oilers. I mean, if McDavid played on the Canucks, I want the Canucks to react that way. Don't touch him. I don't care if it was his fault. Like yeah. you're not allowed to touch him. You're not allowed to hurt him. It's true. You know, so I have no issue with how Edmonton handled it. The argument is we don't see enough of that from the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Yes. <laughs> wow, people are texting in <laughs> and very upset about stuff. <laughs> Did I say something I shouldn't have? No. No, Ramon says, uh, I love it at this point, you guys just have to play devil's advocate. Um, I mean, I don't know if the Canucks need defending. I'm not defending the Canucks. All I'm saying is, I think there is a plan there. I think they have a plan, and I think the plan could make sense if they execute it. I'm being genuine. Like, I think the Canucks have a plan they can execute. It's just, it's not going to be easy. (laughs) And they haven't done the big pieces yet. They've done all the stuff around it. They haven't done the big ones yet. So it's not really defending them. It's just being fair about the situation because I do think there's more they want to do. And we'll see if they can unfold it all here. So what what I would say to that is um, I, I get there's a lack of confidence that they're going to execute on some of these things from the fan base. And that it feels like the same movie rerun over and over and over again. Oh, there are a lot of similarities. There are. The one big difference, though, is Jim Benning and co. told you exactly what they were going to do. And that is, you know, try and add and rebuild on the fly and all of those things. Whereas this team has more set out to say changes are coming. We know this roster relies on its goalie too much. Like all of these things they have said and made very clear. So I do have to take them at some level of their word that they're going to make changes on this roster. It just hasn't happened yet. Yes. So. Yeah. I mean, that's all. Like, I just don't think it's. It's as rudderless as people see see it as being. And I And I totally understand. Like, we can say the plan is bad. Yeah. But I don't think it's a no plan plan. Like, I don't think they're just, you know, doing this, you know, by the seat of their pants. And these guys have no idea what they're doing. Like, I don't think it's that situation. And, and that's just being fair. Like, I, all I want to do. I would have been more, uh, hiring a lot of people for <laughs> to yeah. have a no plan. <laughs> no, I don't, more, more, all, all I want to do more than anything is be as accurate as possible about the environment and what's happening and, and how things are coming together or not coming together, you know? That's all. It doesn't mean it's going to work out. I'm not saying you should be overly confident or anything, but it's not as dire as people would make it out to be. And that the things that are happening are like there is thought put into what they're doing. It's not just nilly willy. We're we're going out here trying to make the playoffs, and oh my god, now we suck again. Like I don't I don't think that's what's going on. You know? Oh what no, I mean? we suck again. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that made me think of Rob Schneider. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let Tim from Tim and Friends know that Edler isn't a dirty player. He was pretty harsh on Edler today. 
That's from okay. Dan. I don't know if he's Edler, but I mean, uh, Colin from Caribou says Edler was also suspended for slashing and breaking a bone against the Wild. I think he's thinking of Matthias Oland, mm. who uh, chopped Miku Koivu down with a two-handed chop and broke his ankle. Every Swedish defenseman is the same. Every Swedish defenseman <laughs> is different. <laughs> um, all right. And this one says, Nyquist for Miller, bring the boy from East Palestine, Ohio home. Well, I mean, listen, uh, that would be a straight-up cap space move. Yeah. You know, you're you're trading JT straight up for Nyquist, who's a free agent at the end of the season. That would uh, that would not look good on Canucks management. At the same time, uh, if you think something is a mistake as a management group, uh, better to get out of it early than it's hold okay on. To, it's, it's okay to admit mistakes. And yeah. the sooner you admit mistakes, the better it is. I'm just not sure they're at that stage. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. They're not, they're not at that stage through 17 games. Though uh, Jim Rutherford is as mad as you are, as he uh, mentioned to us in the now infamous interview. Uh, speaking of interviews... How much of the Ronaldo interview did you catch? Just the snippets. Just just a juicy part. Just the best bits. The just best, the best bits. bits. Just the best bits. Is there a more selfish person on planet Earth? Could you imagine? Like, okay, what would we, who would be the hockey equivalent of making having that? <laughs> oh, interview? there is no there hockey isn't. equivalent. There isn't one, right? Like, the only guy would it be Ovechkin one day? Like, if, if Ovechkin got like, let's say the the hypothetical would have been Ovechkin, you know, was incredible in Washington. Then he got traded, yeah. and went to a few different teams, yeah. And then he became a free agent and went back to Washington, yeah. and then got like benched. And he's like getting healthy, scratched, and then he he holds a no holds barred interview with like Elliot Friedman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm sorry, Elliot. I'm not saying Elliot is Piers Morgan, but that's all. I'm just saying an interview with a with a notable person in the media. So yes. that's all. Uh, I, I don't like. I feel like um, PK Subban unfairly had a reputation of being extremely selfish, but there's no way I'm comparing PK Subban to Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, like hockey players just aren't like that though. They're so much like, Oh, I got to give it to my teammates. Uh, my coaches are the best and all these things. Like what, what hockey player is just like pumping his own tires like crazy outside of Henry Sedin in his hall of fame speech. No, Jeremy Roenick did. Yeah. Good. Jeremy Roenick. JR never met a microphone. He didn't. Yeah. There's just, I don't know. I can't see any hockey player just going out and sewering a team yeah. the way that Cristiano Ronaldo just did. Brett Hall. I mean, maybe J- – I think JR could. I, mean, I remember JR, great statesman, right? Great hockey player, too tough and everything. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that rubbed me the wrong way was um, when – remember when Luke Ropital retired? Yeah. He had that night or whatever. And then it was, it was supposed to be Luke Robitaille's night or whatever. Yeah. And – it just seemed like Jeremy Roenick was trying to suck up a lot of the oxygen. <laughs> it's like, bro, just 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 let Luke just have let, the moment. Let, let him have it. You don't have to share the spotlight with him. as his spotlight. Yeah. You know? So I could totally see JR doing it. Absolutely. Uh, I could not hear what Jeremy said because I had uh, two Stanley Cup rings plugged in my ear. <laughs> That's a really good Patrick Roth. Better than your Italian. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I heard from a lot of people they loved our prosciutto conversation. Did yesterday. they? Yeah. That was very embarrassing for me. <laughs> Why? I mean, the whole thing was embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting called out. Yeah, it wasn't great. So I'm kind of uh I'm kind of ready for this World Cup to begin. And uh just a, a little sneak preview. We'll be doing uh 
post-game shows for Canada across the Sportsnet Radio Network. And by we, he does not mean we. Yes. <laughs> As in me and Dan. <laughs> I will be doing them yes. with uh, Jeff Blair. Sad will just still be all in on the Canucks. Yeah. I'll be watching. Um, and uh, preview shows coming up on Saturday on the network as well. Uh, I got to watch Canada's um, final tune-up game against Japan today. Oh, yeah? This morning. Early morning wake-up call for that. It was uh, kind of like, you know what? Japan's actually a good team. Yeah. Japan might actually make some noise in their group with uh, Germany and Spain. Um, no lies detected. But Lucas Cavallini was playing. <laughs> Whitecaps, former Whitecap striker, I guess we can call him now since he's been released. Um, and he tried a Panenka in the 94th minute. May have also been like the worst Panenka I've ever seen. Shot it right at the goalie. <laughs> is, is it too late to take off the World Cup team? <laughs> like, can we not do that? If we get a penalty against Belgium uh, uh, <laughs> I on say, Wednesday, can we not like do the whole like Panenka thing, please? I will say Cavallini plays better for Team Canada, it seems like, than yeah. he does. He's one of those guys. He's eh? one of those guys. Yeah. But I, I hope he doesn't play a lot. No, he's a red card waiting to happen. Oh, this is a disaster. If he's playing, it's got to be like, you know, you're up a couple, it's late. Or... I do feel like he's Canada's fourth choice striker, though, so. Well, it should be. I mean, you they got Ugo David and Ugbo and. You think Ugbo will get some run? Probably. He's got power. Yeah. You know what he reminds me of, though? Mishi Batshuayi, <laughs> which isn't great. Your favorite Chelsea striker <laughs> of all time. But he can strike. Great ball striker, though. <laughs> Incredible ball striker. Yeah. Uh, you, you've got two teams to cheer for in the World Cup. Yeah, although one's not all that great right now. That's true. Yeah. This one says, welcome to Soccer Central. Yeah. So, I mean, I, okay, yeah. So, the stuff going on in Iran has been absolutely yeah. dreadful. And um, one of the big pushes you're seeing from people uh, living there is, like, they want Iran to get kicked out of the World Cup. And I totally understand why with, yeah. with all the stuff that's going on over there and everything. And, you know, usually I, I'm all in on Team Iran. I'm so excited to watch them play in the World Cup. It's one of the one of the few, you know, vestiges of that country you hold on to a little bit and say, hey, this is something I can, you know, uh, somewhat, you know, go back to my roots for and, and, and cheer on and feel good about, or at least. And that's just not there, at least for a lot of us right now. Yeah. Um, so you'll be all in on Canada. Then. All in on Canada, baby. Let's go. Canada, Belgium. I... Uh... <laughs> The more I uh, I do prep for the World Cup, the more I'm like, man, I thought Canada had a chance, and now I, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Croatia's pretty good. Yeah. Belgium's pretty good. You know, they finished third and like fourth in the last two World Cups. Yeah. So, oh, no. uh, it's not going to be easy. But Belgium does have like a vibe of a team that's uh, like there's always one team in a World Cup that's kind of getting over it. You know, they're getting old. And that's Belgium right now. They're through their golden generation. They didn't win anything. And now they're kind of old and past their best before date. They still got some players that could absolutely crush you, mm -hmm. but they are vulnerable in certain areas, especially on defense. Their defense is old, not very good. You know, like they got Alder Wierald and yes. Vertongen, who are like 75 combined age. And so, like, they just won't be able to keep up with uh, David and Davies, assuming they're healthy. The one guy I do think, though, is still going to have... I think uh, it's going to be Aiden Hazard's last push. Oh, man. He's looked a bit better recently. Spoken like a true Chelsea fan. I, he plays for Real now. Yeah. But I'm just saying... Barely plays. He does, but he has looked better recently. He's yep. getting back into shape. And it's the type of tournament that could play well to his strengths. I don't know. I could see Aiden Hazard having his last hurrah as a, as a high-end player. Because he's not getting it at Real... 
And this is his chance of being like, hey, somebody else want me. I can see him having a good tournament. Him and Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Problem for uh, for, for Canada, though, Sat, is uh, they don't defend well. So No. <laughs> as was evidenced again today uh, Honestly, against Japan. But... It's funny. We, we were so hyped during you know, the qualification. Like, they might do something. Yeah. And now when the World Cup's closer, you're like, yeah. So you know what's like uh, low-key, low like disappointing? World Cup qualifying, Canada hasn't had enough like exciting runs through World Cup qualifying. But generally, for a, a nation like Canada, that's where the best moments happen as a yeah. fan watching is during the World Cup qualifying runs and getting to the dance. Because at the dance, usually you're outmatched. At, at the dance, you're usually <laughs> outmatched, right? That's usually where heartbreak happens. Like, you're like, oh, we're uh, not that good. Canada scores a goal we should celebrate as a country, you know? Uh, like flying just... down Robson with some Canada flags. Okay, okay. Right? So, so there's a wishful thinking, yeah. right? And we're doing a bit of a soccer central preview for Dan Riccio doing uh, Canada. What are, we, what are we calling it? What are we calling it? <laughs> uh, it's kicking the grass coming K- back. Kicking the grass coming back to cover. In a, yeah. And again, like Dan mentioned, it'll be on post game shows, yeah. on live, on air, on Sports on 650 next week, starting on Monday. Uh, so, what is the true bar then? Because the idealistic bar is qualify, get out of the group. The first goal is sco- just scoring a goal. Is it? Yes. It's got to be more than that, it's got to be a result. It's a World Cup, man. No, it's got to be a result. Like, Canada's well, never scored a goal at a Men's World Cup. 100%, but that doesn't mean... They've this... never scored a goal at a Men's World Cup. I understand, but when you're the top team in your group qualifying for the World Cup, I need more than a goal. Okay. I need more than a goal. You have okay, Alfonso get a point. <laughs> yeah, get a result. I need a result. Yeah. I need a result. I need a goal and a result. They are... I would say on paper, they are the fourth best team in the group. Oh, yeah. I mean... People uh, are like underestim- underestimating Morocco and... Eh. The more I've looked into it, the more I'm like, eh, we should not underestimate Morocco. No, you, you shouldn't <laughs> underestimate Morocco. And and the funny thing about Morocco, too, is like, ah, uh, man. And I was I was actually kind of wondering. I'm like, okay, you know. They got Ziyech back. That's the thing. Getting Ziyech back is big. He's like, mm-hmm. one of their best players. And he had a row with his row. I'm using English soccer terms. Row. <laughs> row. But he, he got into it with the former coach of Morocco and kicked them off the team. Yeah. The coach was replaced. So now he's back on the team. So and 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 I was baking in Ziyech won't be there for Morocco, so that gives Canada a bit of an advantage. Not anymore. And Krezin nope. Kukutlam says, imagine like just try to take the ball off Brozovic, Modric, and Kovacic. Yeah. Yeah. And Kovacic, sure, he's not the Modric offensively, but defensively and with the ball, he's a monster. So it's going to be tough against Croatia. I uh I, I've started to think that a result is more likely against Belgium than it is Croatia. I agree. Yeah. What, what if it's, Croatia- it's unlikely against both, but more likely against Belgium than Croatia. What's the weakness that for Croatia sense. that Modric might just be too old? Their back line is, is old. also a little bit shaky, too. They've got Gavardiol, but, you know, Gordon's in the overall. Gavardiol's hmm? really good. Yeah. <laughs> He's very good. They don't have Courtois in net, so that helps. Yeah, I mean, is, is Gavardiol the best help. defender in that group? Probably. And they have not. So, yeah, so that's the thing. Like, even Croatia's weakness, they might have the best. It's like, it's like Quinn Hughes on the Canucks defense. Yes. <laughs> Uh, they they don't have as clinical a striker as either as uh, maybe Belgium does or even Morocco, who's got Harit and uh, Ziyech. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you for listening to my uh, soccer rants. Yeah, make sure to check out Kick in the Grass next week. Uh, Saturday, first show, preview. Oh, uh, you nine, preview? 9 a.m. across the uh, Sportsnet Radio oh, nice. Network. You're back early here on, on Saturday. Yep, should be good. Uh, all right, we're back tomorrow. Uh, we'll be on television, Canuck Central pregame, 6.30 tomorrow on Sportsnet Pacific and the Sportsnet Radio Network in the lead-up to the Canucks and L.A. Kings. 
We'll have Yannick Hansen as well as the mailbag to close out a busy week here on Canuck Central. For intern Angelina, producer Eddie Gregory, my co-host Satyar Shah, I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening to Canuck Central.